you can open your Bibles to Ephesians. We will not be in Ephesians very much today. We'll be jumping around to the different scriptures you'll see on the outline and things. But we will start in Ephesians. It's probably a good idea for you to know where Ephesians is. It's in those little books that Paul wrote. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians. So it's almost toward the end of the Bible. So if you open those up, you'll find that there. Now, it is important to bring your Bibles to church because I think it's, there's something about reading uh, the Bible from your Bible that helps retain scriptures. So my question this morning, our point is, before we get into Ephesians, we're going to be looking at the first two verses, and that's it this morning, because we're going to look at the history of, of Ephesus a little bit and talk about why Paul is writing this letter, and we're going to talk about the author, Paul. Um, we're going to talk about that he started off as Saul and then turned to Paul, and I tried really hard to make that spiritual, and the more and more I find the more and more I see, that's just the Hebrew way to say it and the Greek way to say it. There's no, this is the king, and it is the king's name, and this is a servant's name, and it is a servant's name, but if you look at the king's name, the king was supposed to be a servant. And so um, that's, that was interesting to me. And so that doesn't mean that Saul or Paul messed up his names. It means Saul the king kind of messed up his name. And if he would have served the Lord, he would have had the perfect, to be prayed for, um, name for a king. But he doesn't. He goes his own way. And this Saul happens to be going his own way too, which is kind of, I don't know if that's a coincidence or if the Lord picked it out, but the Lord gets a hold of his heart and changes him uh, for the Lord and for the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So my question, the point today is, what is your story? Is your story, does it have Jesus in it? Is he the hero of the story, or is he just a helper? And how often do you tell your story? Do you love to tell a story? That's one of my favorite hymns to sing. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 in the New Living Translation reads like this. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to, to God's holy people in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Wow, what a way to start. And would you know that Paul starts most of his letters this way, except for the letter to Hebrews, and you're like, well, we don't know if Paul was the author. Well, I tend to think that Paul was the author of Hebrews, and I can give some good context clues at the end. The writing style is very similar. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm right either. If I got to heaven and found out that one of Paul's um, disciples or one that he discipled wrote that, it wouldn't surprise me in the least. That's just also interesting. So the author, Paul, Paul's story can be found in the book of Acts, and then it's spattered throughout his letters in the New Testament. So if you 
want to know about Paul, you have to go searching a little bit, uh, mostly through his writings. He does not like to talk about himself, but he does use some of the things to give him some credibility. This is how Jewish I am, is usually his, how we go with the, the credibility there. So, who was Paul before Jesus? That's a good question. Who was Paul before Jesus? The Apostle Paul was originally known as Saul of Tarsus. He was very zealous for the Lord, and that never changes. Okay? His zeal for the Lord never changes. Uh, it just changes that he was zealous for the law of the Lord, and then he becomes zealous for Jesus Christ after. And he would stand up against the church of Jesus Christ. He tried several times to snuff them out. Paul writes about himself in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. It says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. How can you do that? You're a legalist, right? If you've ever written, writ, read anything that Paul has written, you would see that he's very much a lawyer. Everything he writes is adjectives and, and, and prepositions on top of prepositions. He just keeps describing, describing, describing. And so that we have a good idea of who Paul is. It took me a long time to figure that out when I was trying to read Paul's writings. And once I discovered that, it made Paul's writings a lot easier for me to, to read. He also says in Acts chapter 22, when he's defending himself, we'll be back at 22 again later, but not for a little bit yet. Oh, pretty soon, actually. Verse 3, it says, And Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, and I was, was brought up and educated here in, in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. Okay? So, Gamaliel was his credibility. Gamaliel is mentioned one other time in Acts. You can see, find that in Acts chapter 5, verse 34. He was an expert in the religious law and respected by all the people. So not only was he knowledgeable about the whole law, which means the whole thing, the whole Old Testament, but he was respected by the people. So that means not only did he keep the law, but he tried to keep it in a way that honored God and not just a legalistic way. Uh, there's more written about Gamaliel outside of the Bible, but I didn't, I didn't have time to, to look him up more. And, and that's kind of a side thing, but it's also an interesting thing. So when the early church started, Paul, then named Saul, was present at the first martyr's death, which was Stephen. Okay, you can find that in Acts chapter 7. We're not going to go there today, but what we do find at the very end of Stephen's story is Stephen is stoned, and he's killed for following um, Jesus or the way, as it was called at the time. And he was, and Paul was there, named Saul, 
holding all the Jewish leaders' cloaks, okay? So he was setting himself apart as holy because he doesn't want to get blood on him, but he was approving it by holding everybody else's cloaks so they didn't get blood on theirs as well, okay? So he was in approval of that and was definitely for what was going on. So we see how this pleased... So when seeing how this pleased the Jewish leadership... Saul, Paul, uh, started preaching, persecuting the church in a very zealous way. And he would go to different towns even. He didn't just stay in Jerusalem. He went to different towns and he started to persecute them or get them so discouraged that they gave up on their faith. Okay, And when he was on one such trip, Jesus intervenes in a big way. And this is the beginning of Paul's Christ story, right? He was doing evil in the name of the Lord. Can you believe that? He was using God, Jehovah, as his name, and he was saying, I'm doing this in, in, in the Lord's name. And that's just wrong, right? So God decided to step in, intervene personally through Jesus, had a a Damascus Road experience. And this is often where Paul starts his story. Okay? He does this because God will get the glory. Right? If you think about this, why would you start where you messed up the biggest? This is where I messed up. This is where I actually persecuted the church. I was killing people in the name of the Lord. Well, praise Jesus. Wow, I'm a little scared of you right now, right? But he says, no, then God got a hold of me. I'm a changed man. I've changed my life because now God gets the glory through Paul's shame. We don't like to talk about our shame, do we? I was an overbearing father and, and I didn't let my kids blossom like they should. We don't talk about things like that. I was, um, had a secret lifestyle of sin and, and then Jesus came into my life, right? I think we need to remember some of the before Jesus things that we have done so it translates to our audience today because that's where they're at right now, right? That's where they're at right now. So I ask, what's your story? And how often do you tell it? And do you tell it to the full? Do you tell all of it, not just part of it? So before Jesus was then, he was persecuting the church then Jesus happens. Let's go back to Acts chapter 22. We're going to read from 4 to 21. Paul tells the story very well, and we'll listen to it here. And I persecuted the followers of the way, which is, would be the Christians, right? That's what they call, the early church called themselves, is the way. Hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them into prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so, for I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from, from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from the heaven suddenly shone down on me. I fell into the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, 
I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go to Damascus, and there you'll be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there, and he was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very moment I could see him. And then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and see the righteous one and to hear him speak, for you are to be his witnesses, his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, Hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But, Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you, and I was in complete agreement when you witnessed that Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And let me tell you, in Acts chapter 22, they loved to hear that, the Jewish people did. They were, oh, good job, Paul. That's not what happened. You'll have to read, find out. So Luke actually records this. Luke wrote the book of Luke, and then he followed it up with the book of Acts. Okay, And Luke records this story about Paul and his his Jesus encounter. Paul ends up writing or telling the story three times in the book of Acts. And it's either recorded once and then he's told it twice, or it's recorded once and it's told three times. And I can't remember which on that as well. But I know it's recorded twice, once in Acts 22 and once later in Acts 26. But I'm not sure if there's another one after that. It seems like he tells it one more time though. And it gets shorter and shorter as he tells it because he's refining it into his 15-second testimony, right? His 20-second testimony, as I say. Right? So Paul knew his story well. He told it often. He never made himself the hero. You never see this. And any times Paul has kind of forced his hand to hear some of his credentials, he does it almost in disgrace. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Right? Jesus was always the hero. Jesus was always the reason why he did the suffering. And Jesus is why... He comes here. So Jesus was the beginning, the middle, and the end of Paul. Right? He always brought it back to Jesus. And that's what what we should do as well as we are followers of Jesus. My question is, do you have a story like that? If you are a follower of Jesus and the follower of the way, right, Christianity, then you do have a story like that. You can be trained on how to tell that story. My question is, how often do you tell it? Because it should be on our lips daily. So we had life before Jesus, then Jesus happens, and now life with Jesus. We'll see this 
In Galatians chapter 1, verse 14 through chapter 2, verse 3 is where we're going to be. But even before I was born, this is Paul talking, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace, predestination. Oh boy, that's what we get to talk about next week, okay? So tune in and uh, you can see how your pastor tries to go through that. Then it, then it pleased him, the Lord, to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away to Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to go to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met during that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declared before, I declared before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the province of Syria and Sicilia, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea don't know me personally. All they knew was that the people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. Isn't that really awesome? Again, he's giving God the praise. He goes on with his resume in chapter 2. It says, Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that my efforts had been wasted and I was running a race for nothing. They supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Isn't that kind of, it's, it's pretty amazing to me that all this went down like that. There's a 14-year gap between his trips to Jerusalem. Now, if we go to the next slide there, there's a map of Paul's missionary journeys. And you can see the Mediterranean Sea is most of the map, right? On the right-hand side is Israel. Uh, through up the top is, on the left is Italy and Rome. And then we have Mas Macedonia and uh, Greece and all the other places that would go present-day Turkey would be in almost the middle of the map, kind of to the right, where it says Asia, kind of toward the top there, okay? Um, if you look at that, most of Paul's ministry happened in present-day Turkey, okay? And so you see him go up several times um, from the right counterclockwise and make this loop throughout the countries, and then come sailing back to Jerusalem, okay? And as we go through there, we have three different journeys that he takes on. The first one's kind of short. I would say was probably the least persecuted. However, I'm not saying that he wasn't persecuted because he was. The second one was probably the hardest journey that he takes. And the third one 
uh, starts off really good because it starts off in Ephesus, and then it ends kind of rough, where the second one starts off rough and then ends kind of nicer because he uh, ends in Corinthians, and he gets to stay there for a few years, okay? And so we see, as you look through your New Testament, each one of those little books that we have in there all match these different areas of ministry. Now, the thing that's interesting about when we get to Ephesus, God really blesses his ministry in Ephesus. And one of the reasons why is because God had a plan for the ministry to spread from Ephesus because it's a hub city. There's a port there, so you got many sailors and things coming in. You also have many people that are coming in to get goods and things, and so everybody's coming in and out of the city, and so you're, instead of having to educate one audience, I would say weekly and sometimes daily, he would have a new audience every single time, and he could preach the same message over and over and over, over a week or two's span, and then start right back over because he would have a new audience, and he could prove the story of Jesus Christ. He could prove that it fit with the Old Testament and that Jesus fulfilled those prophecies and that he is the Messiah come in the flesh and that we need to accept him. So that was one of the unique things that we find in Ephesus, right? Now, when we read the book of Ephesians, we'll talk about this a little bit next week, but I think it's worth mentioning, the first part of Ephesians talks about God talks about God's character. It talks about what God wants to do for us. And then in chapter 4, it starts to make the, the transition. This is what we need to do for God. This is how we need to live. We need to be unified as believers. This, we need to imitate God, therefore. How do we do that? By living, putting this on, taking this off. And then we can do this in our marriage. We can do this in our job. We can do this in our families. How do we keep doing this? We put on the full armor of God, and then we keep moving forward, right? And that's the gist of it. Many times when I do marriage counseling, I have the couple go through the book of Ephesians and outline it, especially if they've been in the church for a while. Um, I did this with Jason and Katie. I made them go through. Give me an outline. Don't just go through and pick the pericope titles on, on there, but give me your your input, what, what's this have to say? And as they go through this, you find out that you have to know who God is. That's the first three chapters. What he's done for us in his grace and mercy. Awesome. This is how we're supposed to live. And then if we want to develop a family, we're already supposed to be living like this, putting off our old self, putting on our new self. So when we come into this bond of marriage, these things still apply and so if those things apply, then we can submit to our husbands because that's what we're supposed to do because he's submitting to the Lord and we're supposed, we're supposed to, as a couple, submit to one another, right? And that is a beautiful thing that we find in marriage and it is right there in Ephesians and so that's what we'll be going through, okay? So Paul, as he goes through these missionary journeys, 
he has suffered many, many times. There's one time where he is thrown out of the city, left for dead. The believers have to come around him, pray over him, and bring him back to life is basically what happened. So he was dead and he comes back to life. Does he ever mention that? I don't think he even does in his boasting. I think he just says he got beat. But the way it's written and the way Luke wrote it, it indicates that he probably died that day, right? And so as we get going along, Paul, his authority is being challenged along the way. Paul goes to all these, all these towns and all these cities that he's gone to, and he only goes to new towns, towns that have never heard the gospel before. And he, he plants these seeds, and then he starts a group of elders, and he, he encourages them along the way. And then he would go back and visit them, or he would write them back. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21 through 22, you can go to the next slide, Amy. Um, he writes about this. He, he starts to, he's defending himself against these super apostles. They come and say, I am all that in a bag of chips, and Paul is just a chip, right? He's not even a bag, right? So Paul's like, well... That's nice of them to say, I don't care if they preach the gospel. I don't care if I preach the gospel, just as long as the gospel's preached. However, if you're going to discredit the gospel because of their credibility and my credibility and what they're teaching is wrong, let me tell you a few things that I've done. Um, Out of my humanness, I'm going to boast as foolishness, is how he kind of puts it. In 2 Corinthians 11, 21-33, but whatever they dare to boast about, I am, t- I am talking like a fool again. I dare to boast about it too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I served him far more. I have worked harder. I've been put in prison more often and been whipped times without number. And I faced death again and again. Five times, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 30 nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys and I have faced faced danger from rivers and from robbers and I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities and the deserts and on the on the seas, and I have faced danger from men who have claimed to be believers and are not. I have worked hard and long in enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty. I have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold and without enough clothing to keep warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern from all the churches. Who is weak without me feeling the weakness? Who is led astray? And I do not burn with anger. If I must boast, I, must, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aristus kept guards at the city gates to catch me, and I had to be lowered in a basket through a window at the city wall to escape from him. To this story, I say, wow, just wow. Paul was called to give God 
and specifically Jesus the glory. He was willing to endure the suffering and the pain so that God's message could get out that his son Jesus Christ had come as the Messiah. Well, you may say, well, pastor, I, just, I don't have faith like that. I, I can't endure suffering like that. I'm not, I'm not zealous like Paul was. Well, I would ask you, well, what do you have? What do you have? Do you have enough to share with anyone this week? Do you have enough to relearn your 20-second testimony and then try it on somebody? Even if it's calling me up this week, say, Pastor, I'm, I'm, trying, to get, I'm trying this 20-second testimony thing out that you said. Can I just, can I practice on you? Yes, absolutely. I would love that. I, I would love that phone call. Right? If you need help, I'd be willing and happy to help you. So meanwhile, back to Paul, on this third journey, Paul, he finds the city of Ephesus, and God's blessed him with a place that is protected for a time. And this is the church that Paul holds deep in his heart. I really think this is like, if he were to look at all the churches, it's just my personal opinion that he as a pastor would hold this one as this, this was my church. This is the one I really cherished. Uh, the other guys, I loved them and things, but these guys got me and I got them and we were on the same page and we're moving forward together. God blessed, God's blessing him with a place that is protected for a time. And this, the church, Paul holds deep, to his, deep and dear to his heart. He sends for them when he is on his journey back to Jerusalem. He writes over and he says, hey, I'm going, passing by this way come out to the coast, we'll meet. They have a time where they come together, they cry with one another because Paul says, I'm never going to be able to come back to Ephesus again. Um, because once he, And that's true, once he goes down to Jerusalem, he starts his journey to Rome, and in Rome is where he dies. Right. So in Jerusalem, Paul once again is persecuted by the Jews. In his defense, he, a Roman citizen, appears to Caesar, and once he is in Rome awaiting his trial... He's put under house arrest, and he then follows up to the churches he has started. He writes to Colossians with a companion letter to Philemon, because if you ever read Colossians, you should read Philemon together. They go together. They're sent at the same time with the same courier. He wrote Ephesians. He wrote Philippians, and then he finally writes First and Second Timothy. Timothy, Second Timothy is probably the last one he wrote. Which is also interesting because if you look at the Second Corinthians letter that where he gives the grocery list of all the things that he has done and persecuted, it probably doesn't include the last things he did from Jerusalem on up to Rome because he most likely wrote Second Corinthians while he was in Jerusalem. So he gets another shipwreck thing. He um, heals a bunch of people over. Vipers, gets bit by a viper, doesn't die. And uh, there's a couple other things that happens along the way. And it's pretty amazing. Heals, heals a couple guys. And it's just amazing things. So when we get into this, shortly after that then, he is beheaded for his faith in Christ Jesus. 
So what is your story? How often do you tell it? Grace and peace. Paul speaks of grace and peace to the Ephesians. Well, how can this be? How can he speak of grace and peace when you look at all this chaos in his life? You look at when he first starts out, as zealous the guy is, what does God have him do? Wait. For three and a half years, you're going to be educated in the way before you go. You're going to be trained in how it is. You're going to see the church grow. You're going to see a very successful church started probably a lot because of what you and Barnabas are doing. And then we're going to send you guys out. And you're going to go. And you're going to go around for a long time. And 14 years later, you'll come back to Jerusalem to see if what you're doing is the right thing to do. He's like, how'd you, that's like a midlife crisis if I ever heard one, right? Are we supposed to be doing this? We better go back to the church in Jerusalem. Why did he have to go back to the church? Because he's getting all these false prophets that are saying, no, you need to follow the Jewish way. You got to be circumcised. You got to follow the law. If you don't follow the law, what other structure do we have? Right? Is structure good in church? Yeah. Is too much structure good in church? No, it's not. But some is good. Too much is, is not necessarily a good thing. We've seen that throughout church's history. So, grace and peace in Ephesus. He's writing back to them. How did he leave Ephesus. Well, if you read in Acts chapter 19, which I'm just going to kind of summarize this morning, you see that he leaves a riot. He leaves the city in this ruckus that is so bad uh, because he's converting so many people to the way, to what Jesus had to say. When Paul arrives in Ephesus, they only know of the Baptist, of uh, John the Baptist's baptism. They only know that this, there's a baptism of repentance. They've heard this through Apollos, Aquila and Priscilla. They come alongside him. They educate him. They turn him into this powerful preacher that goes out, takes the Old Testament, and proves that Jesus was the Messiah, just like Paul was doing. Their, their paths interweave a lot. And Paul gets this opportunity to preach in Ephesus for like two years. And he gets to the end of this, and Paul, he educates them from the baptism of John the Baptist to the baptism of Jesus Christ, baptism by fire. Paul presents the gospel of Christ, and they receive it, and they receive the Holy Spirit. They receive it so well, minus some of the Jews, that kind of, they kind of started the riot, right? It starts a reformation in the whole city. And Paul sets up shop in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And then he starts preachings to Jews and Gentiles alike, which always creates some controversy there. The thing about Ephesus is, like I mentioned before, it's a hub city, so people are coming in and out the whole time. And people are coming and going with trading goods. And he gets a new, they want to come and hear the latest philosophies. And so they're ready to hear about this guy that, He's been preaching for this for a long time. He's really good. He's got the stadium 
Um, if you saw the, the Facebook post that I put out there or the Instagram post, that is most likely the stadium that Paul preached at. It's not 100% sure, but it was once very similar. It was made out of granite stone. It would go up. It'd be very easy to hear from the front to the back, uh, the speaker preaching or teaching in there. And so they would go and they would go to this lecture hall, listen to these different philosophies. Paul got some airtime and he starts and he goes and he teaches and he gets set up there. His audience is changing weekly and he changes the whole area. He was able to preach to the whole known world because the world came to him because God designed it that way. Paul taught God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ, and this is a different message than any other world religion that we hear because God hands out his grace in Christianity in every other world religion in some way, shape, or form. You have to earn that favor. You have to do things. You have to work for it. And that just simply is not the case in Christianity. You receive God's grace, and because you receive it, then you have this joy that wells up in your heart that you want to share, and you want to do good works because of that. Things are going so well that the local silversmiths notice they are not moving products anymore, and Demetrius, he turns the whole city against the Paul, against Paul in the way. By preying on the fears of the Greek god Artemis, they start an uproar, and they don't really know why the uproar is going, but they start this chant, great is Artemis, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That's all that's going on. Nobody can talk. Everybody's just remembering this because Paul, he has done nothing wrong, and the only thing that Demetrius can do is to get the people to remember their affections for um, Artemis. And isn't that a lot like what our sin wells up in us? We're going along, we're serving the Lord really well, and our affections for our sins well up in our heart again. And here we have this little chant going on in our hearts. Great is Artemis, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, or whatnot. Maybe it's great is alcohol, or great is your addiction, great is pornography, great is whatever it may be. And that is trying to take over our hearts, right? Where we should be saying, great is the Lord, great is he and what he's done in me, and greater is he than, than what he's done, than the, what's in the world, Right? Instead, we need to be submitting to God, our Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit that he has sent to us. And this happens to end Paul's ministry at Ephesus. He has to pick up shop and take off. I got to move on. And they're like, well, thanks for leaving us with this. And he's like, dude, I've given you the tools. You don't need me anymore. And he had. And it's proof because the church of Ephesus does well. I think it's the only one of Paul's letters that's also written, that is written about in um, Revelation as well. So I'm going to close with this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, May the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. 
Now notice that Paul never hands out his own grace and peace. He never does this because without God in it, we do not have true grace. And peace does not exist without grace. Paul understands that he is under authority. He knows that everything he has done since Damascus was done by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the will of God the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Friends, we cannot have peace without sacrifice. We have peace in the United States now because of the sacrifice we've seen in the Civil War, in World War I, in the World War II. Without those sacrifices, we would not have the peace that we have today. And we have many people that are, are fighting to make that happen still as well. Thank the Lord for the soldier. Friends, we can't have peace without sacrifice, and we don't have sacrifice without his grace. Praise God that we can find peace as a result of God's grace. What I think is interesting, if you ever read the book of Acts, look at Paul's story, starts right around chapter 13 or so, and then goes on to the end. Paul is a part of it almost the whole way through. Not all of it, but most of it. And Luke records him, and he gets to the end. He is in Rome. He is in house arrest. And the last verse of the last chapter of Acts reads like this. From a man in change next to a Roman centurion. It says, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. I love that because it's so ironic because he's in chains for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he took being changed to a Roman centurion as a captive audience and he preached to that Roman centurion. And he wrote letters back to his churches that he had started. He did not stop his ministry because he was in chains for the ministry. Praise God for the zeal that he had given to Paul. Now, zeal might not be your spiritual gift. You might, not, you might not have that strength of character like Paul did. But maybe you have something else. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality that the Lord's given you. Maybe you have the gift of preaching or teaching or many other the gifts. Maybe you're an apostle that you're supposed to go out and proclaim. You're supposed to evangelize. I'm not really sure. Maybe you have the gift of encouragement, the gift of helps. Are we using those gifts to further the kingdom? Are we using those gifts that the Lord gives us to further his kingdom? My question to you this morning is, what is your story and how often do you tell it? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the example that we have in Paul. We thank you for the gift of scriptures that we have and the power of the Holy Spirit that comes and wells up in our heart when we read these scriptures. As we study this next section in Ephesus, Lord, or in Ephesians, I pray that you would allow these words to be welled up within our hearts. Lord, I encourage this congregation to read Ephesians this week as we prepare to get an overview of it all. Guide and direct our hearts closer to you, Lord. 
And help us to be disciple makers who want to know you in a mighty way. Lord, we pray like this. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and to love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. But draw my heart to you and specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, who makes disciples, who makes more disciples, ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I encouraged you before, I want to encourage you now that um, take an opportunity to read um, the book of Ephesians before we get through. If you get a good overview, it will help when we start to dig in deep. Um, in the micro view as well. It's six chapters, I think. So that's almost one chapter a day if you start tomorrow, right? Thank you. You're dismissed.